Welcome, welcome to the Heart Skills Show with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. Today's guest is Nancy Parsons, and we will be talking about the strategy behind creating a culture of um, assessment and um, developing your um, strategic change mechanisms to grow your leaders. Great to have you on the show, Nancy. Unmute again, I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, absolutely. On this show, um, we discuss how to develop the nuanced hard skills needed to drive significant systemic change to make real impact through your leadership. So Nancy is really great for this topic. Be ready, take notes, reflect deeply, and at least identify one small step to further develop your hard skills muscles. Now, a little bit about our guest today. Nancy Parsons is the CEO and founder of CDR Companies, LLC, and she developed the CDR three-dimensional assessment suite, which is an in-depth coaching tool used by global clients. Full disclosure, I'm a certified uh, person (laughs) in this. I use it. And honestly, one of the reasons is that it's one of, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe the only woman-owned, women-developed current assessments of its kind on the market. Is that right, Nancy? And I co-developed it with my business partner, Kim Leverage, and she's an IO psychologist. So I wanted to make sure you knew that. That's right. That's right. So um, incredible. Um, And, um, you know, and it's been vetted um, for women in leadership which, you know, not all assessments are um, ones that are psychometrically sound and support, you know, um, uh, women and other people from other diverse backgrounds. So I think that really makes a difference for me. Um, In 2020, she also launched the CDRU Coach, which is um, way before it was cool to lean into (laughs) AI, I think. Like she was like right on the cusp of leaning into AI. It's a digital avatar coach that provides individualized feedback and development. Um, I like that what um, Nancy was thinking through this um, was a high need for folks throughout the organization to get some level of assessment coaching. And she was trying to make it more accessible through this tool, which is something that's always on the forefront of my mind, Um, how difficult it is for people to get the coaching they need um, at other, you know, lower levels of the organization and but how important it is to outcomes, right? So um, that is a pretty cool. And then in 2022, she actually got an award for this <laughs> um, international gold star winner, best new product by the Stevie Awards for women in business. Super cool. Yeah. Um, and Nancy was also awarded herself the prestigious Miko International Thought Leadership of Distinction in Executive Coaching in 2019, which only a few select people have been. Um, received, uh, has, have received this, including Marshall Goldsmith. So big, uh, big time. She's big time. (laughs) Thank you. you Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm ready to take notes, people listen, lean in. Um, and, um, let's see what we can, the, the brilliant wisdom we could extract from Nancy here today, but before we get like, you know, into the hard stuff, Let's talk about some simple stuff. I'm back um, with my Delve deck. I like I like just asking stupid questions first, you know, just like <laughs> to ease in. So I picked this one um, because, well, it resonated for me. And okay. it's all about me here on the show anyway. So um, 
what did you regularly eat as a kid that you wouldn't touch now? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was thinking it's um, boiled pork with sauerkraut. You know what? This is so funny that you said that. Boiled pork. Right. Um, I was, my answer to this was um, the fried pork fat. Oh, there you so, go. Um, a, a very like popular Romanian dish is called jumar, right. which is basically fried to a crisp little pieces of pork fat. Oh. Like it's not just like, it doesn't have pieces of bacon attached to it. Right, it's right, just right. the fat. Yeah, exactly. Well, I had the rubbery fat. Imagine that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I loved it. And when I, I took my family, um, what was it like seven, eight years ago to Romania? My daughter loved it. And I'm like, oh my God, this yeah. is just the thing for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the sauerkraut part. I still like sauerkraut. Just the pork yes. was a little. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, the sauerkraut that we had also, I my mom makes this um um boiled cabbage, yeah, uh, stuffed cabbage yeah. and yeah. the sauerkraut around it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So good. So that was an easy question there you go <laughs> good, good. all right now let's um let's get into how we connected um you wrote fresh insights to end the glass ceiling right and have most recently wrote women are creating the glass ceiling have the power to end it which is available right. on amazon by the way everybody um what led you to write these books right it it was based on our assessment data we were doing some research and inadvertently, we stumbled on these differences between men and women. That's not what we were looking for. We were comparing our personality and risk assessment data drivers to 360 data, to performance data. And all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at the risks and we see such differences between the women and men leaders in the groups. And so then we ran the numbers more and saw, yes, there was a statistically significant difference on how women and men cope under stress and adversity. So it was an eye opener that women are doing this and women tend to be worriers as a risk, high risk, fear of failure, fear of making a mistake. Whereas the men were egotist upstagers and rule breakers, fighting, aggressive, who looks more leader like, you know, and the women are kind of pulling themselves out of the visibility because they go quiet. They want to get it 100 percent right. So it, it just, you know, it popped out at us. So I dug and dug and then conducted numerous interviews and so forth. And it was right there in front of us. So that's what spurred it along. We kind of stumbled on it, if you will. It wasn't, it wasn't a plan. It was a kind of, oh my goodness, look at this difference. So it was, and that's kind of refreshing too, because sometimes we make certain assumptions, but it's nice to be surprised by the data. And maybe I'm a little bit of a data nerd, but that was, you know. Yeah. Was, yeah, absolutely. And and um I think what led me to reach out is I felt conflicted about the message. Right, and I wanted to right. talk with you more about it because, um, you know, there's, there's a piece of this of like, what came, what comes first, the socialization, um, you know, for women to not take up space, to not appear too assertive because then they're labeled as aggressive or the right. B word or whatever. Um, and so um, I worried that, um, you know, then what happens is we get anxious about our presence, our appearance, how people judge us. Right. Um, 
and that could be driving it. And so I wanted to, you know, I reached out to you mainly because I read the books and I wanted yeah. to reach out to you and like hear your perspective. And, and so I'm sort of curious, like, where are you now with all of this af- after writing two books and exploring this lot? Right. Well, what we, in the second book too, we studied, studied Western Europe. So we added that data as well. And it was, it was the same. Women mm-hmm. were high warriors. Now the men in Europe weren't exactly the same, but they still had more aggressive profiles than the women. So you know, and what we know about our assessments, it's a mix of nature and nurture, right? How we're nurtured. So with personalities and including the risks, they're developed by the time they're developed from infants on up. But by the time we're like high school seniors or high school, they're pretty much set on who we are. They're patterns of our reactions under stress. Okay. So they, they become, so it's not like, Oh, well, they're, they're going to be thinking some, some negative things about me. So I better be quiet. It's just a natural reaction without even thinking about it. The woman will shrink back if she's a worrier. So it's one of the, these are like unconscious behaviors that come out under certain conditions or stimuli, right? So for me, it was important. Here's the, the, the whole, the whole thing is self awareness. Do I do this? Do I find myself falling into these behaviors under stress or where I'm feeling intimidated? So that's the key. Number one is that self-awareness. And then the second part is um, you're not stuck in this. Even though it is part of who we are, you can develop better tactics and coping strategies. It takes practice, takes some intention, but you definitely can do it. So that was my, my purpose was we need to help women so they stop self-sabotaging, right? Stop undermining themselves. So because often what we see also is the women have the stronger leadership profiles. They're often more gifted. So yet then they're pulling themselves out of the running. So that was like, we have to stop doing this. And, it, and it's just disappointing to see that women uh, stall prematurely in their careers. And so that's, you know, that was a concern of mine. So that was why I felt the book was so important, you know, uh, because as you know, I studied it, I started in leadership 40 years ago, some 40 years ago. And that's when the Pregnancy Act was passed and all the rest of it. So I was so excited that women were going to just soar. But then they didn't. Then they didn't. And even when I wrote the book, what did we have? About 5% of women CEOs, roughly. And that might be stretching it. <laughs> so um, so that was my concern is, oh, my gosh, all these years. And I really thought and worked with women leaders all through my career. And we barely you know, made a dent. So that, So it was kind of out of frustration, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... Um, this is where I think is like super interesting. Cause I think, um, you and I have different perspectives about this. Like I get pissed off at the system, you know, I get, I you do know, too. I, no, I do too. Yeah. Definitely. And, That's all. Yeah. And I feel like, um, we're, we're so in, it's so ingrained by age 10, you know, that, um, it is an automatic response. Um, but I sort of get, um, frustrated with like what the what if what if we didn't have all those messages but I think we both come together around like okay so given the state of affairs how can we empower women um in the current state the current situation and at the same time how can we equip companies organizations to support women um right so that um whatever the reason is um 
that that there's there's opportunity there, right? Exactly. And the whole the other point of the book is how do we change those systems? And why are we promoting men that aren't as qualified? I mean, the other side of that, there's a whole. So I agree right. with you that it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think it's like a two two prong solution. You have to help the women. Why we start to change those systems and start to talk to these companies? You need to use scientific measures, good assessments to help you promote vet people into the right positions. Otherwise, so much talent, including diverse talent, not just women, you know, it goes un, unrealized, underutilized, or often put into the wrong positions where they're where they're not as likely to succeed. So we have right. to. So the whole point is, but yet, just because men talk the talk and have that bravado, that doesn't mean they should be promoted either. Stop it. So I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. It it has to happen two-prong. It's a two-prong, individual and enterprise-wide. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and I think, and we both sort of are on the same page, that self-awareness empowers you so much to know what to do next, right? So that you're not... Um, you know, playing into something without realizing it, or you're, you're not sort of um, um, just accepting that, um, you know, the, the frustrating situation as is, but you have more tools now, like, oh, this is what's happening. Now I have some options. Let me think through like, what's right for me. Right. Right. So um, all of those reasons, I think, make um, assessments like these uh, so important. So when we come back from the ad break, let's talk a little bit about this self-awareness piece um, and, you know, um, what we need to know about it. Okay. Um, You're listening to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku and our guest, Nancy Parsons. We air on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to join our online audience and ask questions that we can answer in real time right now, you can find us on LinkedIn or YouTube at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be right back with our guests in just a moment. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and our guest, Nancy Parsons of CDR Companies. So um, we just finished talking about the importance of self-awareness um, as one major tool for empowering your decision-making as well as empowering organizations to help um, leaders. But, you know, um, people think that they are self-aware, but in fact, they're pretty bad at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I agree. Um, what causes low self-awareness? What's the risk to leaders when they think they're self-aware, but they're not quite there yet? Yeah, I mean, we obviously have some understanding about ourselves. Are we extrovert? You know, some of those basics, big buckets. But when you get to the nuance level of your strengths and gifts, as well as your gaps, that's easy to miss. And, and then also, you know, you have to add what motivates your passions in there. You know, what do you enjoy? And sometimes people lose sight of that. So they're, they're both critical as well. Most people are unaware of their risks. I mean, that one is like a blind side because, you know, we measure 11 and we, most people have a couple of risks, a few risks, you know, sometimes there's just one, but usually there's two or three or even more. And so, you know, we really don't take stock of how we react, I don't think, under stress or conflict or somebody's pushing our button. And those are the things that kind of hurt us the most, usually. But I'll tell you, the other reason I know, you know, as a favorite of friends, you know, college kids I've coached over the years for 25 years to make sure they're getting in the right major. Everyone I've ever coached has been heading in the wrong major, usually under understating what they can do. You know, they're going in for business, yet they have a STEM profile, you know, these kinds of things. And it's like, so, no, we, how would we naturally, my question back to you is, what in the system of our growth and our education really helps us to be self-aware? Yeah, well, <laughs> I have lots of answers to that. I mean, first of all, you have to be proactive about it, right? right. Like, um, you, you have to um, lean into, if you need help, do I need to get therapy? If I need help with professional things? Can I get a coach? Um, you know, and and for me, the greatest difference is not only using those resources, but also assessments. I remember taking your assessment <laughs> and one of my risk factors, I was fighting it. I was like, there's no way, right? But that's like, think about that. For someone who is in psychology, who has yeah. done so much self-work to um, still have blind spots means that the large majority of people have blind spots Absolutely. regardless, right? Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. it's, and, um, and, and it took the assessment for me to start looking for those moments under stress where I might appear that way for me to exactly. be like, you know what? Yeah. Okay. 
It's true. And and sometimes those risks, you know, like, for example, upstager, over-talking, pushing your point of view too much, uh, that's one that I'm guilty of, right? But on the other side of it, I my other highest risk is detached. So you think, well, you can't do them, obviously, at the same time, right? And it's different things that set those off. With greater frequency, I'm an upstager. But when something really hits me hard and deeply or, say, hurts my feelings, I'm gone. I just check out, you know, so so you can have your people are complex. I mean, that's the whole it's kind of the beauty of it. Right. People right. are complex. Yeah. So we don't just just because someone's an extrovert, we can't assume they're always an extrovert. Right. And absolutely. Um, and that's yeah. and but we get kind of we think of ourselves that way because we know we we maybe are talkative or maybe we're just the opposite. We're an introvert. But maybe there's times not so much. You know, yeah, and, and I, you know, as you're, as you're sharing this, I, I think, um, I, I really often like to think about this as what's the shadow side to your strength, right? Like, um, for, for me, my strength is that, um, you know, I'm somebody who calms an environment. Um, I try to keep things like really even keel harmonizer supporter, um, you know, and, um, the, the downside to that is that my shadow side, when it comes to like how I ended up on, you know, your assessment is the false advocate and the detached, right? right. Because, um, there are times when I might be too agreeable if I'm too stressed out and then right. I'm not sharing how I really feel about something, which I've been practicing ever since I took your Good. assessment to get better. <laughs> um, and, or getting detached because, um, I'm trying not to add to the drama, not to escalate. I'm trying to f- sort of process and think through so that I know I don't make things worse. But there are times when I need to stay in the game. Exactly. Right? exactly. And those are the kinds of things that you don't necessarily realize because you only think about, well, but this is my strength. How could it, you know, how right, could it also right. be a blind spot? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes even those blind spots are kind of, this is going to sound odd, but maybe can be sideways. They may not really track with anything in our strengths. It may be something a little bit out of the blue, like eccentric or cynic that Mm. doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to go along with the rest of our patterns of our profiles. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there's, or what you think is like an outlier, but it, but when you think about it, yeah, I do that. (laughs) So, so so, um, tell me, you, you mentioned about self-sabotage, right? So how can we self-sabotage if we're not aware of these things, like yeah. what, what happens? Well, whenever we fall into these behaviors, uh, you know, that are, we call them the other uh, title for the report we were thinking about, but we didn't use it is ineffective coping strategies. <laughs> so we just call yeah. them risks. They're your 11 risks, personality or inherent base risk. So, you know, how do we, uh, I'm sorry. So how do we, um, you know, catch ourselves or understand why we're doing it? You know, it's um, again, they're just ingrained and we we go there and it's hard to get a reading on. Oh, my goodness. Here I am. I'm doing this again because they're, they're they tend to be repeat behaviors or reactions. So um, and I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Well, you may want to you know, <laughs> come back at me. I kind of got yeah, uh, uh, around self-sabotage, you know, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. How I'm it shows sorry. Up. Yeah. So so what happens is even though my intentions are good. So I go to the meeting, my intentions are to perform well, to show them what I have. But then we've get some people over there 
upstaging, overshadowing, whatever. And then I tend to retreat without even realizing it. I'm not giving it my best. Mm. That's self-sabotage. So even though I have it, I've done the work, I know it, I'm the best maybe content expert, I fail to speak up and represent what I know. That's self-sabotage. It's also self-sabotage to go quiet when you shouldn't. When the team needs you the most, you're not only self-sabotaging, you're sabotaging the team, I feel like. So if I'm not showing up at my best, you know, then I had a whole team once I was working with. They were all false advocates. So we had to work through it. How do we learn to talk to each other in a more open way? Because invariably, they always talked superficially, never said what they were really thinking. So we had to work around facilitating. Okay, you can do a first pass at these. This is what I think. But then you have to come back and share something you've not shared before of a concern. So it's, but it does take practice, you know, but the self-sabotaging just happens again without us even thinking. And and we don't even realize sometimes that they're negative behaviors. Does that make sense? We don't realize the impact or the toll it's taking on us. Remember, there's judgments all the time. And and how we judge leadership is not not necessarily effective either, right? So if we're judging based on who's going to be aggressive and who's this, well, women are going to get overshadowed a lot. And it doesn't make it right. But but we as women need to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, we have a I have like a worksheet where people can analyze these when they do it. You know, what's the trigger? What sets them to do these different risks? You know, how did it show up? What was the consequence to me or the team? But the real important thing is where the coaches work with individuals is what can I do differently? You know, I have a plan now when I go in, you know, like a warrior has to have what I call pivot phrases, you know, so she doesn't or he doesn't, you know, undermine or themselves being afraid to speak up. Or the other thing that happens with the warrior, of course, is they overanalyze and overthink. So they can spend hours and hours on something that really only requires maybe 20 minutes, that kind of thing. So how do we set those reminders and have them practice different types of skills and so that they don't always fall into that trap of hurting themselves. Another one, I'll give you an example. We see like um, African-American women, we might see sometimes higher levels of cynic, okay? Doubting, being a little suspicious, standoffish. Well, that can hurt them too. Well, she's too doubting. She's not on the team. She's too negative. There you go. There goes those judgments. Now, I'm not saying that those judgments are right because often they're not, but we have to be careful of how do I come across? Am I coming across confident? you know, assertive enough, my listening, all those things. So yes. I don't know. It, if it is complicated. I really like what you said about um, that sometimes our self-sabotaging efforts, we think that we're, we're doing the right thing, the, you know, um, and it's usually, like you said, it, it's usually because it's just an overutilized or poor coping mechanism for something that has happened over and over that you're just trying to manage. But when we're not realizing when it's starting to actually get in the way instead of answering the problem is when the, you know, when, when it comes up as an issue, right? Right. right. And think about it this way too. When we all, we grow up in different circumstances. If you're in a family where there's conflict and you hide from the conflict, you avoid it. You tend to have avoidant risks. If you were raised like I was, in the Philadelphia area as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, we move into the conflict. We create the conflict <laughs> on those aggressive sides. So a lot of it does have to do with 
you know, and, and of course there's all that about, you know, uh, where were you in the, in the birth order and other things on how you coped as a child, but then we repeat those and continue those into adulthood. Right. Without realizing it. Exactly. That's the whole point. That's the whole point is you never, that's why having an assessment like this, where you can realize, Oh, I do this. And then start thinking about when do I do it? What, what causes me to go there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, when we, when we come back from the ad break, um, let's get into like, how do we use this for like, in a way that is a strategy for leadership development for myself, for example, if I'm an individual leader or a strategy for organizations to develop their leaders. Good. Good. So, um, we are going to be right back with the hard skills. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern is when we air and we'll be right back with our guests in just a moment. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be frank about health with all of you. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and our guest, Nancy Parsons, CEO of CDR Assessment Group, CDRU, and CDR Companies. Um, so when we le- where we left off before the ad break, we were talking about self-sabotage. Um, we were talking about like when we don't realize we're we're actually trying to use it to resolve a problem and it's actually now getting in our way. One of the things that I just want to mention for our audience is that um, the purpose of assessment is not to label people. Uh, It's not to peg us, right? Um, Right. It's just accepting that um, what might've worked for us before, for example, like your examples of like, you know, childhood experiences where we were in survival mode, for example, or trying to resolve something as a child, 
is not going to work forever for us, right? There are times when it works, um, when we're we're remembering something that is similar to that situation, we're trying to self-protect. But in other situations, it's not going to necessarily work. And Marshall Goldsmith, what got us here may not get us there, right? So um, we're the, the goal of leaning into leadership development is continuous improvement, right? right? It is identifying what is now no longer working for me like it used to. And what else should I, can I be doing? What are my options? And so from that perspective, let's talk about strategy. How do we use this kind of information, um, a self-miss, self-awareness stuff um, to develop a leadership strategy for ourselves to be more intentional around our continuous improvement? How do organizations do that? Right, right. Well, normally, you know, we build an leadership action plan, developmental action plan. And, you know, so we're going to use, what did we learn also taking in your performance or 360? We're going to tie that together with who you are and help each leader build that unique plan around herself or himself, including Am I leveraging my strengths? So often people go into jobs and they're working in areas that aren't their best strengths. Well, that's an issue. You know, am I underutilizing what I really can do? So there's a whole, there's many ways to look at this. You know, you can look at your gaps. I don't personally, I try not to have people work too hard on their gaps. I'd rather them be in a job that doesn't tap too heavily into their gap areas, right? And I even work with organizations to be flexible on job design, because if I can do 80% of this job really well, but 20% is, is gnawing at my gap, well, maybe somebody else can do the gap because they're good at that, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the risks, you know, building a plan and, and really examining those. That's why we do the analysis. How is this showing up? Because it isn't like you said, and I even, it's not always easy at first to get your arms around it. How? Do I really do this? What is it? So you really need to explore that. So it's it's kind of that deep self-exploration and then building that plan to where do I want to go? Pulling in your drivers. We measure drivers or intrinsic motivators. And what I tell even MBA students and the rest, look at your strengths and your drivers. Get your career, guide your career, your path, your strategy around that. And then you'll always be in the right place if you meet both of those. And that will minimize also that will minimize your risks because here's the thing. If I'm happy and I'm feeling really good about what I'm doing, I can't be stressed at the same time or pushes those down. So anyway, it's building that plan to get to the best place based on who you are. And we just see too many disconnects, you know, so it really behooves people to make that personalized deep plan to get on the right track, to make sure, you know, that they're really doing what they love and what they're good at. And then knowing how to prevent themselves from going off track, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, I do use your assessment as well as a few others to um, help people with career development, career path um, questions. You know, I right. have a lot of um, women, especially around their sort of um, mid-career 40s, they have gotten very, very good at supporting Um, their organizations, right, meeting their organization's needs to the point where they've done so well, they've lost themselves and they have no idea who they are, what they're interested in, what should they do next, but they know they're not happy. They just Mm -hmm. 
haven't defined for themselves, who am I separated from the context of me trying to live out someone else's vision or the organizational context or um, what I've needed to do to earn money in the first half of my you know, career or whatever it is. And assessments like this really help them take uh, you know, a step back and clarify like, oh, I had no idea that um, I had these sort of um, simmering underlying strengths that I haven't been able to use at work, for example, um, right, right. Uh, or I've been doing this stuff here, which I know I'm good at, but there's this other stuff that I really like that I'm not getting enough of at work, for example, with, you know, drivers, right? Right, right. And a lot of times when I'm working with executive women, to, to your point, the activity evolves around getting back to their drivers, doing things they love that gives them passion because they're on that, they're working too much, you know, between work, home and this vicious cycle, mm-hmm. they've lost, they've lost sense of self and their own happiness and well-being. So very frequently we start with on the action plans, a couple of drivers and scheduling it inside and outside of work. Let's get that moving first. And then we can start to look at some of these other developmental goals because let's get people, you know, feeling good again, you know, uh, energized, excited, uh, content, whatever that is to them before you go, because that's the last thing we want them to do, right? If they're already working themselves to a frazzle is to work harder at a plan. <laughs> I want them to pull back. Yeah. My, uh, what am I enjoying? And you would, you wouldn't be shocked Mira, but a lot of people might be shocked at how many women in particular, but people lose track of that, of what brings them joy, yeah. why they do the work in the first place, all that kind of thing. Right. Right. Cause you know, you end up 15 years later into a career and you're like, how did I end up here? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so that to me, I, you know, I just, I just wrote an article on that very thing. It's, it's so often the drivers and not being good to yourself, mm. you know, being neglectful of self. And, and so it's really, the drivers are powerful. Some people may downplay that a little, but it's so important. I mean, yeah. to keep you balanced, to keep you happy and actually performing at your best. Yeah. I, I remember um, in my first career, I was a school counselor. Okay. I did it for very practical purposes. Right. You know, I did it because, oh, I have, um, you know, afternoons off after 3 p.m. And I get, you know, the summers off. And that means that I can start a family and be there for my kids, which, by the way, I didn't have kids at that time. I was just like trying to be real yeah, yeah, practical. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was not a great fit for me. And what that meant is, even though I was only working like, you know, nine months out of the year, 32, 35 hours, which people will kill to do, I was burned out. And now, because I pay attention to doing the things that drive me, right? you know, I have, people know, I have two jobs. I probably work like 60, 70 hours and I have lots more energy. I don't feel burned out because of the fact that I'm leaning into the things that drive me instead of leaning into things that just don't make sense. Right, right. Yeah. Because you are energized because you love what you're doing. You're excited about what you're doing. And that makes all the difference. It's that, you know, cliche whistle while you work. Well, you're whistling because you're enjoying it versus like, gosh, I have another, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, when we come back um, for um, the, um, actually, no, we're we're not um, reaching a a break yet. I want to squeeze in one more question here before we reach, um, you mentioned, okay, we've talked a lot about like 
how it applies to individuals, right. career development, leadership development, design, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm super intrigued at like how it applies at the organizational level. You mentioned right. job design, which I'm not sure a lot of organizations think about their, you know, jobs that way. Right. Um, and um, and now you're also sort of leaning into selection and hiring um, and processes. So I'm, I would love to um, have you share a little bit more about um, how organizations use um, assessments like these to strategize um, being there for their employees and um, getting them in the right positions and things like right. that. Yes. So I will say they are not using them enough at large. The numbers aren't great. But the truth is, because they are validated for selection and succession planning, what I propose to clients is that you have a talent inventory. Think about this. You have an inventory of all your assets in your business and your warehouse, everything, right? All your supplies, everything. But we don't have an accurate inventory of people, of the inherent talent and capabilities they're bringing to the table and about what they enjoy, you know, those, those two things. So with these types of assessments, you can have a top to bottom inventory as well as develop everyone in your organization. Why would you not do that? So right now, and that's why, because we're not doing that, that's why we see leadership effectiveness numbers so dismal. What are the numbers over the last several decades? 50 to 75% of leaders are ineffective. You know, we're seeing 85% of employees not engaged. Hey, we got to get off of that. That's not working. Can you imagine? Uh, a tur just turn it around. Can you imagine investing in capital equipment, say a big, I don't know, piece of manufacturing equipment, and it only worked 25 to 50% of the time? No, but we're doing that with people. So we need to add the science of assessments into what we do with people to get it right, because we're not getting it right. You know, and so that to me is like, that's my passion. And I love the idea, though, for me, too, is most of my career I spent helping the top of the house, senior executives and coaching and, and other executive coaches helping them. But we really do need to flip that and help people earlier in their careers, not in the last, you know, 25 percent of their careers, but in the first 25 percent of their careers. So so it is possible today. You know, technology does help us be able, as you mentioned earlier, like with our CDRU coach, where we can roll it out to greater numbers so people can be self-aware. But simultaneously, organizations need that data. They need to know who's who. So we're kind of operating in the dark just based on resumes and what classes they've taken. That doesn't give you a clue about what they really can do. Mm -hmm. So can you can you give an example of how, um, you know, kind of like a sort of start to finish um, how a company could think about starting to um, inventory talent and sort of lean into like repositioning or, you know, redesigning some things. Yes, yes. So obviously, you know, I, I, I prefer the route where the individuals also are developed while you're getting this inventory. So they're the recipient too of what you're doing. But once you have that, then you can say, you wouldn't you would be shocked mirror at how much underutilized or unidentified talent is in organizations number 1 we have taken people from plucked them out of being like a secretary and turned them into an IT analyst when the company invested in upskilling wow. this person had no idea several we did a whole group of them but the one that I went back and did an uh, interview and an article about she had no idea she had that capability and she didn't go to college because of her socioeconomic you know background 
plucked her out. She was hugely successful. She's now a leader in an IT firm in Boston, and she was a secretary in Salt Lake City. But we see this all the time. You know, companies like to invest in upskilling. What are they basing that on? Well, we think so-and-so can do this because they took that class. That's just mm. not enough. So my other thing is, I think it's great to invest in people, and but you have to invest wisely. If we keep throwing bad money after, you know, or bad solutions, more money for bad solutions, that's not going to further us along. So that's where I think the talent inventory, having people take the assessments, training organizations on how to use it or have consultants come in and help support them, obviously, on how to use that and how to understand it. Uh, and that's not that difficult. We do that. We work with internal consultants and coaches as well as externals. So, and then, and then helping build those job families or moving people and maybe upskilling or reskilling where necessary. And then you can get the flexible job designs. The other thing that happens too is we see so often these technical experts getting pushed into leadership roles, which is the worst thing for them. You know, they'll have the PhD and, you know, and they're designing all these uh, patents and everything. And then, then they push them into an, a job where they're doing, you know, admin performance reviews and budgets, and they hate it because they love discovery, you know? So we have to also figure out like it's systemic, new pay grades and new ways to recognize these thought leaders and contributors. It can't be all about leadership. We have to get rid of leadership as the only track. That's mm. just, that's just, that just hurts us because yeah. there's so many individual contributors that add so much value, but then they feel like they're pigeonholed or they're not being recognized. So then they assume, well, maybe I should go into leadership and then they're just miserable. So if you have a talent inventory that's accurate, you can help guide people in the right directions. You know, they take control of their career, but you help them with it because you can see it too. Great, great. Um, when we come back from the ad break, I'm, um, I'd am i like to um, just explore a little bit more about this technical expert into leadership track and what other alternatives there might be for companies yes. to think about. So you're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and our guest, Nancy Parsons. We'll be right back in just a moment. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to the hard skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Heart Skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and our guest, Nancy Parsons. Now, where we left off, um, I just want to ask you quickly, um, you, you were saying that, you know, um, right now, the only option for in a lot of companies uh, for technical leaders to progress in their, you know, um, career and to feel like there's, there's a pathway for them in some way, or even like a, a promotional opportunity is the leadership path. And that's not right for everybody. And we don't need to shove it down everybody's throat that that's the only option, right? Which makes perfect sense. Like there are, um, you know, um, certainly other ways to recognize people and their technical strengths. Um, do you have any examples of like how this can be done? What companies can be thinking about to support they're technical leaders that um, demonstrate great skill, but then on an assessment or when you're sort of looking, um, you know, at them um, for possibilities, they're just not hopping for the leadership or supervisory type roles that they'd probably be miserable in anyway. And you're on mute. I forgot that. Yeah, it takes away from where they shine, you know, when you push them up those ladders, so to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, so here's here, Mira, this is where the drivers and re rewards becomes really important. What we see with most tech people or science, -y, uh, science, sci what we call scientific reasoning is one of their highest drivers. So if that's the case, you've designed those rewards and perks around that. Now, if they also have high fame and feedback, they also want notoriety or they want to be respected in the industry. So, for example, maybe they get to do research and present at a symposium, national symposium or international. That's better to them than being promoted to a leader, right? Because that's what they love. Or if they're high science with, um, I don't know, high uh, business and finance, maybe they do want more bonus money or something. So you can look at the drivers, but you can count on scientific reasoning being number one. And even things, you know, uh, just... You know, there's all kinds of rewards you can give to people that have those drivers, you know, getting them publications, trips to NASA or, you know, mm -hmm. new technology, new gadgets. They love that stuff. I mean, I've I mean, I've written articles just on scientific reasoning because there's so many people that have this uh, and how do you reward and help them to feel appreciated for what they they're doing. But also is, you know, developing professional ladders that pay well enough and give them the attention. And maybe they're the thought leader or maybe they're a team leader or a mentor to someone else. Those are the kinds of things versus leadership where they're having performance reviews and budgets and things they just couldn't, don't, don't want to do at all. And, um, and, and also to make sure that they're feeling good about it. That's why we want to see what their need for fame and feedback is, you know, that kind of thing. So looking at their drivers, it's not all about money and it's not all about promotions. Most of these people have low power and competition under their drivers, meaning they don't want to move up, yet we push them up. Mm. And then they become miserable. And guess what happens? They leave. <laughs> they yeah. leave. That is, is a potential consequence of your best, 
you know, R&D person. Yeah. And the worst is when they leave feeling defeated or like they didn't do something right or they they feel like they were not competent when in fact, it's just that they didn't have the right options to to thrive and to, to shine. Exactly. And just because somebody is really good at technology or research does not, and they're really smart, we know that's a given. That doesn't mean they're going to be a good leader. They may not have those innate skills. I just looked at some profiles today on selection, somebody being put forth that had six percentile out of a hundred on leadership energy to be that CIO of a company. No, no, and no, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be yeah. a good fit for that person. I, um, I worked with um, a large government agency that actually had some opportunities because of the fact that perhaps as a government agency, they recognize that they have many technical leaders. Um, they had a wonderful career path for technical experts who were not interested in the leadership, right. the traditional leadership path, the management track. Mm-hmm. And um, like you were saying, it was um, more of a subject matter expert yes. track. And they were able to stay rooted in um, mentorship and advisory way. They got into policy writing and um, you know, researching for policy. And that was like beautiful, you know? Yes, I mean, yes, they just loved exactly. what they were doing. Yep. Yeah. So I think again, and you can tie that back to a talent inventory, not, and I would say arguably that most STEM people don't want to move up. I'd say the majority, because we measure STEM profiles, whether they have leadership, project management, just full STEM or math only. Right. And so, I mean, we, we slice and dice it. So many of them just don't want that. That's not where they shine. Yeah, absolutely. So Um, if people want to learn more about you, I'm going to share my screen to share, um, you have three websites here. (laughs) Um, tell us a little bit about, um, what, what to find on these websites. What are they? What, what they, what can they learn from them? Yes. So our, uh, CDR companies, you can go there and then you can also branch off to the other two that just tells you about the full company. So that's probably the best place. CDRU tells you about our digital avatar coaching system. And CDR assessment group, of course, tells you about our assessments that we've been using uh, for international clients uh, for 25 years now. And um, to dig deep on self-awareness and to help people grow. Uh, So, you know, um, love to hear from you there. You're also welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. uh, And, you know, happy to connect with you. Awesome. What is the one thing you would like people to take away from today? Improve your self-awareness. I think I could have guessed that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I'm here. That's what I do. I help people with self-awareness. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So if you would like to also explore how I can help you with leadership and team development services, you can check me out at gotowerscope.com. We do have a leadership academy there and we do use assessments there. Um, So you can definitely um, check me out there as well. Um, What did you take away audience? What is one small change that you can implement this week based on what you heard from Nancy? Share it with us on LinkedIn at Nancy Parsons or at Mira Bronco or at talkradio.nyc so we could cheer you on. We are also on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all over the place. But LinkedIn is where I live online. I'm pretty sure that's where you live, Nancy. Yes. So that's where we'll respond and share you on. So definitely um, share with us. 
what you learned. In addition, we are not just the live show. We are also a podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So please go subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, share with others to help increase our visibility, reach, and impact. Thank you to talkradio.nyc for hosting. I'm Dr. Mira Bronco, your host of the Hard Skills Show. Thank you for joining us today with our guest, Nancy Parson. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And have a great rest of your day, wherever you're tuning in from. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be Frank About Health with all of you. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronco, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.